Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. We'll read the text, then we'll get into it. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among, my, among people. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is week two. We're working through the book of Luke and just taking, uh, just working through it passage by passage, verse by verse through the book. This is called expository or expositional preaching in which we're, as a congregation, letting the Scriptures dictate what we hear. So instead of me getting up here and dreaming up a a theme or an idea to present to you, I want to have a position of this book is God's Word to us. And so we're going to sit underneath it and let it tell us what we need to hear. So for that reason, we're here this morning talking about this prophecy about the birth of John the Baptist. Last week, 
We talked about Luke's purpose in writing this book to give us certainty of the things concerning Jesus Christ. And Luke, all along the way, is operating as a historian. He's trying to give us the background, the details of this is how it all went down concerning Jesus Christ so that we can have certainty about the things that have happened. And so we find ourselves today in this prophecy about the birth of John the Baptist. Now these first chapter and a half are interesting. We have two miraculous births that come on the scene for us. Two amazing angelic visits and two miraculous births. The first one here is John the Baptist. Gabriel shows up uh, very surprisingly to Zechariah there in the temple. It says, you're going to have a son. And what a surprise it is because as he politely puts it, she's advanced in years. Okay, that's a very clever way. He's being very polite to his wife there. She's advanced in years, unable to have children. And yet we see at the end of the text here, John the Baptist, they do conceive and have a child. And these, this mirrors, it's a foreshadowing of a chapter later, what we're going to get into of the angel showing up and saying to Mary, who knows no man, is going to actually bear a son and have a son born of a virgin named Jesus Christ. So this is a, this is a miraculous foreshadowing of what's going to happen later on. But, and just to get the context of what's going on here, when we enter into this time of John the Baptist showing up, at this point, the prophets have been quiet for 400 years. For 400 years, there has been no one speaking on behalf of God to the children of Israel. We could go back, and if you have your Bibles, you can keep your finger in Luke, but you can tr- uh, go back, uh, Luke, then, then go Mark, then go Matthew, then go Malachi. And this is arranged as the last prophet that spoke in the Old Testament. And so although Malachi is here, and then Matthew is one page back, that's 400 years of silence that's going on. God is not speaking to His people anymore. They are without a word from God except for their Old Testament. But this last prophet says some interesting things. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God is speaking through Malachi. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. On back there in chapter 4 of Malachi, verses 5 and 6, very last words of the Old Testament in our Bible arrangement, says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And, see if this is familiar to what we just read this morning, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. The last Old Testament prophet says, a forerunner, someone is coming. He's going to make way, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. All great arrivals have announcers. I mean, if you go to a big ticket concert and you spend money to go see, a, a, there's usually an opener, right? And they come out first to, to start the show so that everyone gets kind of excited and they know that what's come, there's someone else Coming up, I mean, every great arrival has a great announcer. 
That's why when I get up to preach, I just come out here. <laughs> I don't have a great announcer. <laughs> but every, every great arrival has a great announcer, has a hype man, has someone coming out and say, listen up, people, someone great is coming out here. Someone is on their way. And this is who John is. John is this forerunner. He's this declarer. Listen up, people. Someone like you have never known before is coming. The Redeemer of Israel. The Messiah that we have been looking for since Genesis 3.15. The seed of Abraham who we've been looking for since Abraham's time. This King of David that we've been looking for. He's coming. He's coming. Make yourself ready. And this is who John the Baptist is. Prophesied there at the end of Malachi. A forerunner is coming. And here we see John the Baptist is showing up. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to walk through these portions and just try to glean from this passage. I got a couple of, of just minor things and then one big idea coming to, coming to us out of this passage this morning. And the first is, we've got here in verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. The days of Herod, this is Herod the Great. And when we say he's Herod the Great, we say it's because he did great things, both good and both terrible. Herod the Great, was he really wanted to get the Jewish people on his side. He and, and starts building the temple back up. And the great Herodian temple that's there at the time of Jesus, which is still being worked on, is from this Herod the Great. He starts it. He's not Herod the Tetrarch we encounter later on in the Gospel. This guy dies about 4 uh, A.D. or so. So this is not the same Herod, but this is Herod the Great. He does amazing great things, but he's also the Herod who sends all of the guys to Bethlehem to kill every boy because under two because he doesn't want this king of Israel that he's heard about, the king of the Jews, wants him to die. So he does great things and great terrible things. This is Herod. So this is a dark time we're at in the days of Herod, king of Judea, darkness. What do we have? A priest named Zechariah with a wife named Elizabeth. She's from the daughters. She's from the, the clan of Aaron. A priestly group. We have essentially just like a country pastor is what Zechariah is. What, what you would call there in, in Judea at this time, back there around Jerusalem. He's just a country pastor. They had, it's interesting, the way they organized how, how they did temple duties. They split up into 24 different groups. Only four of the tribes actually came back to Jerusalem. Maybe this is more information than you care about having. But they took those four tribes and they split them, split them up into 24 different divisions. And each division came and served two weeks at the temple. And they would show up and they would go through all of these rites. And, and, and Zechariah is one of, is in, at the clan of Abijah is his division. He's not necessarily descended from there, but this is his division. And he shows up and he's doing his services. This is, um, there, but in the time, this, they have this darkness of Herod, this promise, these promising couple, they are righteous before God, which is quite a, a, quite a pronouncement on someone. They're righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And verse 7 says, but, but they had no child. They were without child. Now, and she has, there's, there's shame that comes along with this. 
erroneously back then, they believed that to be barren was because of some sort of sinful condition in either the mother or the father. And that barrenness was, was a sign of God's judgment. Now, that was an erroneous belief. Then that doesn't hang out today as well. That's not still around. That's not, what, that's not the reality of what was going on. But their culture at that time, that's the way they assumed was, that's what they assumed was going on. And their lineage was really, you know, built upon having children. And so it was considered a curse to not have children. And they are both advanced in years. They had no child and there's no hope, essentially, of them being able to have a child. That's verses 5-7. through seven. Looking on down through verses 8-10, through 10, Zechariah comes up and he's serving as a priest. This is his time when his division's on duty. And the lot is thrown and he is granted to be the guy to go in to burn incense at the altar. Now, we think, okay, well, it's like it was his turn to get this duty. This is a very rare event, okay? This is so, this is so rare that if you ever were called up on the lottery to go burn incense, you were immediately taken out of the lottery. You never were allowed to do it again because they had so many people that were brought up for this lottery that some of them would, would serve, show up, and, and do their duties, leave and do this repeatedly and die and never get the chance to present altar the incense on the altar, which is symbolic of the prayers ascending to God. Some men would have never even been involved in this event. And here the story comes along, Zechariah, his number is called. And he's given the chance to go into the temple and to present the incense on the altar. And the way this would work out is they would go about and they, they, the, the, all the crowd would be assembled, kneeling down praying. They would go in, they would light the incense, say the prayers of, of whatever, and then walk out quickly. They didn't linger. Because they, they were afraid that if they lingered, they might sin inside the holy place. And they didn't want to sin inside the holy place because out of fear God would strike them dead, basically, I would say. So they would go in quickly, put the incense, say the prayers, come out, and then pronounce the ironic blessing over the people. But that isn't what happens, is it? Zechariah gets called up. He goes in. And when he gets inside the altar, what's there? An angel. <laughs> An angel shows up and Zechariah is terrified as he should be. One thing, just one of my minor points here, they have been delayed in this desire for a child, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth obviously wanted this child, had desired this child. And what the answer has been repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly to them is, sounds like no, Sounds like no, right? Because they're advancing years and they had no child. But sometimes God's no's aren't denials, but they're just delays. Some, not, every deny, not every no is a denial. Sometimes a no is a delay. And not every delay is an outright denial. Our, our being beyond hope, beyond all hope, means nothing to God. So I, I want to say this because I spend a lot of time trying to disillusion us from American Christianity, which says, listen, come to Jesus and everything in your life gets better. <laughs> you know, your marriage works out better. Your kids are they're always well-behaved and they get good grades in school and your checkbook is healthy and fat and you just never have economic hard times. You never get sick. Jesus just makes everything better. 
And I, I, I try to be pointed in saying, listen, that is, not the, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a version of American Christianity which is out there. And it's not true at all. Christianity actually, actually will bring you extra persecution in this life. Jesus says, take up their cross daily and follow after me. So I fight hard against this idea that um, come to Jesus and everything works out well. But at the same time, I don't want to get so far into the ditch that all I create out of us that listen is a bunch of pessimists. And we think, you know what? I guess nothing's ever going to go right. You know, we don't talk about, you know, we can't expect good things to happen. We should just always expect horrible things to happen. I don't want to get to that ditch either. And I want, so I need to say that God, we, we as Christians should also be realists in what this world full of sin brings to us. But at the same time, Optimist about who God is and what God can do. This delay was not a denial for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God delayed 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. But that delay was not a denial to them. It was a delay. Abraham and Sarah is another great example of an Old Testament couple who God said, delay, wait, wait. And it felt like no, but it was just a delay it wasn't a denial. He delayed for Hannah, there the, the mother of Samuel. She would go and she would weep bitter tears that she would have a child. Promise to God that if, he would, if you would just give me a child, I would give him back to you. And it sounded like no over and over. It sounded like denial. But what it was was just delay. And so one minor thing I want us to take away from this what thing in your life are you desiring and you're hearing delay? And the thing is, it might sound like no. But with God, not every delay is a denial. Not every delay is a denial. If there's a loved one that you want to see come to Christ, embrace Christ, and you've been praying for it for years, and it sounds like denial... I don't want us to become people that just give in to that. Well, things don't go well. Not every delay is a denial. If there's a circumstance you're desiring to see go a certain way, and it sounds like all you've heard is no, 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 no. Our God is a big God. And not every delay means that there is a denial. God, when we pray, God either answers yes no, or later. You know the song, uh, is it Garth Brooks? I uh, thank God for unanswered prayers. Like a pretty popular, famous song. There's no unanswered prayer. <laughs> every prayer gets answered. It gets answered with, and I'm sorry, Garth Brooks. <laughs> but every, every prayer is either answered yes, no, or later. And that's an answer. <laughs> that's an answer. A no is an answer. Every prayer is answered by God. Yes, no, or later. But not every delay is an outright denial. Right now, God is delaying. Christ has come. He said He's going to return. And what we're in right now is delay. God is building His church. The gospel is going out throughout the world. And there's delay going on. But don't think for a second that God's delay is denial. Is that it's not going to happen. That Christ is not going to return. Just because He's delayed doesn't mean He has said no he has just said, not yet. And this is what we see with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They have been delayed, but they have not been denied. 
Something is going to happen. We should always be saying with Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? I want to create in myself and us a realism about what this world is full of, but at the same time, a hope in who our God is. The God who can do as He pleases and does as He pleases for His own glory and for the good of His people. Hope in God. This is what Zechariah and Elizabeth find out, that God's delay has not been their denial. But verses 11-17, through 17, then what happens? This angel shows up and he says something interesting. He says, your prayers have been, or your prayer has been heard. Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. What? What does he mean, your prayer has been heard? What's Zechariah's prayer? Maybe you can think about it a little bit. What's he praying? What, what, at this moment, he walks in. He's got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What's he praying? And we can tell from a couple of things. We can tell from what happens. The angel says God has heard his prayer. And the things that fold out, unfold from that, we can, we can kind of backwards reverse engineer what likely Zechariah's prayer was. And the first one is for the redemption of Israel. Every priest that they're entering, they are pleading with God that the Messiah would come and set the world right. That's what he's supposed to pray. The prayers of the people. Oh God, rescue, hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one. And, and longing for this Redeemer to show up. We know that this is what he's supposed to be praying for. And as we see Jesus does then come on the scene, God is answering his prayer. We know that Zechariah, obviously, he's going to be praying for the redemption of Israel. But also, do you not think that even if it isn't an outright prayer, God, I want a son, that there's something oozing from Zechariah in this longing for this child of his to come. That he's longing. He and Elizabeth spent years. That even if he's not necessarily asking God for a son, he might be coming in and, and saying, God, What's up with this? <laughs> Why? God the Son. This, just, just a guttural prayer like that, possibly. How long? How much reproach is my, do I have to bear for not having a son? Maybe a prayer for his wife. How long does she have to bear the shame of not having a son? And he comes in with these prayers. And what does the angel say? Your prayers have been heard. And both of these things, both of these prayers for a son redemption of Israel, are fulfilled in the, in the pregnancy of Elizabeth bringing the forerunner of John the Baptist. Likely, Zechariah was requesting both, and both were answered the same way. Here's what I'm going to do, Zechariah. I've heard your prayer. Your wife is going to become pregnant and conceive, and she's going to bear a son named John. And he's going to lead the way for the Lord. Zechariah was going to have a son and he was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah who was on his way to bring redemption. Jesus is coming. And he's coming after this forerunner shows up. This is who John the Baptist is. We see here, moving on in the text, verses 18 through 23, Zechariah is a doubting man. Right? Angel says this and he says, uh, how can this be? Uh, is a polite way of putting it as well. I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. How 
can this be? The dude is in the temple. An angel shows up. And he doubts. Now, how many times have we in our lives heard from people, you know, I'd believe God if just He would do this. Or I would believe it if this. Let me tell you what. No, you won't. <laughs> you, the, that, that is not... An angel shows up for Zechariah and he says, I'm not sure that's going to happen. The, 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 the miraculous event, people longing for these miraculous things to happen. If you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe even if an angel shows up. Something else needs to happen. Faith in God's Word does not depend upon these miraculous events. You'll find some other excuse, just like Zechariah did. Faith in God's Word needs to be faith in His Word. Why? why you know why um, Elizabeth is going to have a child? Because God promised that it was going to happen. And when God promises, He accomplishes. When God promises, He accomplishes. God's promises do not fail. Don't be Zechariah. He learns his lesson. Zechariah gets his promise anyway. But we may not be so fortunate. Do not count on this mercy from God, but to hear the Word and trust Him. Why? Because God's promises do not fail. God has said, you're going to go home and your wife is going to bear a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to lead the way for the Lord. Zechariah said, I don't think so. And the angel says, you know what? Don't say anything more. You're done talking for the next nine months. You're done. Don't speak any more doubt. I have promised it. It's going to happen. God's promises do not fail. Elizabeth will conceive and they will have a son and they will call him John. God's promises, when God speaks it, does it. Our hope is not based in our ability to, to believe God, you know, be better than Zechariah and believe God that God can accomplish His things, whatever. When God promises, He does it. When God promises the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that all those who repent and trust in Christ, He'd forgive them their sins, reconcile them back to God, adopt them into their family, God's promises do not fail. When He promises to Zechariah, you're going to go home and your wife's going to conceive and bear a son, you know why it happens? Because God has said it's going to happen. That's why. That's why. When God speaks, He does it. God's promises do not fail. When God promises there at the great commission to His disciples that behold, I am with you to the end of the age, God does not lie. God's promises come true. This promise begins the fulfillment. We can look here at the last verse here, 24 and 25. Elizabeth then does go home and is conceives. And for five months she kept herself, kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach from among my people. Elizabeth is blessed and she gives credit to the blesser. Elizabeth is blessed. She's given a gift and she gives praise to the giver. She rejoices in the gift, but she doesn't let it terminate on the gift. She focuses it back to the giver. Final big idea. God's doing something big here in John the Baptist. Something huge is coming down the tracks. This is, not to, this is a not-to-be-missed event. The miraculous sighting of an angel, Zechariah being struck mute for his disbelief, 
a barren womb, a woman being well beyond her years, becoming pregnant and bearing a child. Hello, those are the those are fly, those are the alarms going off. Something incredible is about to happen. The forerunner is coming. This prophecy, these prophets, we've been longing to see again. The the lights are going off. Here he is. We're back. God is about to show up. This is to have the feel to us of a countdown clock. We went to vacation last week, and you guys probably played this game with kids at some point, but we love the pool. And Joel's up there on the steps, and he tells me to go away, right? Go away, get farther back. And he comes down as far as he can, and he says, now get me, right? Now come get me. And so then all I have to do, if I've turned away, is turn and look. And the giggles and the, you know, the fear, the terror, you know, he starts running. I haven't done anything yet. I have just, and I have just given the intention, the notice, I'm coming. And just that, that forerunner, just that, um, that, that foreknowledge, something's about to happen. He can't take it. The anticipation of what's on the way. And that's the feel we're supposed to have here with John the Baptist showing up. Something incredible is about to happen. We all know the feeling of expectation and excitement. That it brings. So I'm not a coffee connoisseur. I like Folgers in a drip like a $15 coffee maker. All right? And when you put that thing on, you fill the water in the bag, you put the grounds in, and you hit go, the first sound you hear is that heater going pop, right? It hasn't made any coffee yet. But that's one of the best sounds that there is because it's telling me something's going to happen. That first little heater going, you know what I'm talking about? You got a cheap coffee mate? coffee maker at home, it goes pop and something incredible is about to happen. We have, uh, we live in the old Fisher house and we've got radiant heat, water radiant heat and it's wonderful heat, I love it. But in the winter, that thermostat, you guys, it, it happens with a forced air too, so you're not missing out on the illustration. But in the winter, it's getting cold in your house and you hear that thermostat go click. It's not warm in there yet, is it? But you know, the heat is coming. That's a good sound in the winter when that thermostat goes click. You're like, oh, here it comes. Here comes the heat. This is what the this is what John the Baptist is to have for us. Imagine with me, just as the final illustration, we're in a remote village, out in the mountains somewhere, and 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 every so often, every six months, every year, a, a giant train comes in and brings us our provisions, brings us blankets, brings us you know, the things that we need, medicines to keep us healthy, all of these good things. This train comes in and drops up all this stuff. Every, not regularly, but every six months to a year. And, and at some point in the valley of the mountains, when the train's three or four days out, you can see it cross the valley and you know the train's on its way. And the whole village goes wild. They see that train go through that valley. Oh, the goods, are, it, it's, it's on its way. And they, they begin to party and get excited. Now imagine we're all in this village. We watch this valley. And all of a sudden, the train stops showing up. It's not there anymore. And, and they begin to write down, remember, watch for the train. Watch for the train. It's going to pass between these gorges. Watch for this train. Watch for this train. Generations die off. Generations are born. They watch for the train, watch for the train. They die off, never see the train. And then one day, one day, because 400 years later, the group is watching and all of a sudden, there's the train. The train is on its way. This thing we've been longing for, this Messiah we've been hoping for, is on its way. This is the excitement that John the Baptist brings to us. The Messiah, the Redeemer is coming. This is the anticipation we should feel 
Because right now we sit in a time of waiting. The train, Christ is going to return. He's going to come. He's going to return. And we are now in this place of watching, 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 and waiting for our Redeemer to show up. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word to us. I thank You that Your promises do not fail. I thank You that, that God, in Your sovereignty, You do deny things sometimes and it's for Your good purposes and for Your glory and our ultimate good. But God, I pray at the same time You would open our hearts to the hope that not every delay is a denial. And God, increase in our hearts the anticipation, the expectation, the joy of our Redeemer who is coming again. Christ, who bled and died for the forgiveness of our sins, lived the righteous life that we couldn't live, was raised for our justification, that we could be reconciled back to You. God, we want to rejoice in that Messiah who was coming then at the time of John the Baptist, has come now and is yet still coming again to make all things new. God, draw our hearts near in rejoicing to You. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.